now coming to you live from Moby.co. This is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live discussion on the market, the economy, and the various forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time once again just another dark week in the markets. Uh, we've had an absolute collapse in the crypto markets fueled by a crash in Terra Luna. We're seeing potentially some silver linings on the inflation side of things with the potential peak of inflation based on the CPI report that came out this week, fingers crossed. Um, but we're still seeing various tech sell-offs and a lot of just, you know, uh, generally bearish signaling coming out of the market. It's As always, it's a super fun time in the market. And to have that super fun conversation, I am, as always, joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder here at Moby.co and our chief analyst. Justin, man, how are you holding up? Like, uh, it's just a crazy time, right? Yeah, it, I'm, you said it right. It is a crazy time right now. I think we're seeing this deep sell-off into the markets that we haven't yet really seen. There's been a lot of volatility, a lot of down days, um, but the market has just been bleeding red over the last week or so. Um, so excited to talk through some things today, what it means, why it's happened, and kind of how we're playing it going forward. Uh, I think for the first time personally, starting to really feel like this is a real bear market and that there's a lot of negative sentiment out there. So um, I think this is a, a really pivotal week going forward. In terms of just like understanding like what the direction the market is going to take moving forward too, it's really important to understand that uh, a lot of us, a lot of people are first time investors when it comes to jo jumping into the stock market. And so many new retail investors were minted during sort of the flush of cash a lot of people had during 2020 that were finally, you know, seeing kind of the party end there and the market sort of stabilize around real values. So we'll get into all of that and begin to understand how the market's reevaluating itself. Um, but it's really encouraging to see people compare this to like 2000 and 2008 and be like, it's not nearly as bad as those things, <laughs> which is the cold comfort we get. But let's sort of get into the news. First and foremost, most of the main thing in everyone's mind right now is the entirety of crypto is falling around uh, the collapse of Terra Luna. Not collapse, let's not say that it hasn't, be, hasn't been delisted yet, but they halted the blockchain today after an unprecedented drop in value. Um, Terra, uh, let's see, Luna is trading sub a dollar now after being above $100 uh, literally six days ago. Um, so let's kind of get into that. So obviously we've been talking, audience, if you're new to the flagship pod, we've been long on Terra Luna for you know a pretty long time. We called Justin. Your analysis called Terra back when it was like sub ten dollars, right? Like when did, when did, when did we start thinking about Terra as a potentially solid project? Yeah, I think the, that timing is somewhat accurate. Um, started thinking about it at the beginning of the summer, mostly so about August of 2021, almost a year ago. Uh, back then, to your point, trading in the teens, um, really liked the project. Started getting much more prominent. Uh, started rising in price, more popularity, led to more price rising, and so on and so forth. Until this year, we hit a, a high of roughly $120. So some of our early followers, traders, got to see a lot of the upside. Uh, once it started peaking, we, we sold a lot of our position, luckily got out kind of towards the top. Um, still, we're, we're checking out, love the long-term viability of the project. Um, but definitely at that price, there was a lot of risk baked into it. And over the last few months of things started to really unwind, both in the stocks and crypto market, we saw this massive, massive sell-off over the last 24 to 48 hours in, in Terra, um, going from one of the top 10 largest coins in the world down to effectively just, just pennies on the dollar. So to see the rise and fall is a case study within itself, and we can definitely get into why it happened, what it means, and, and kind of implications for other projects now going forward. 
Absolutely, and I think it's really important to keep in mind what Terra was trying to do. Terra was trying to be, you know, an algorithmic stablecoin. So there's a lot of projects in this DeFi space that are trying to, again, provide stability and liquidity to these markets as people try to understand and develop interoperability between these various crypto projects, right? Like all these blockchains are super neat, but uh, unless you have a means by which where you can have a reserve currency, where you can have liquidity, things can get jammed up. Still, though, we're still in a phase where this is very new technology. And frankly, uh, people, there's a lot of folks out there saying, you know, I know exactly why this happened. It's really hard to say, like, what the catalyzing event was. I have spent far too much time on 4chan uh, in the past 24 hours trying to see, like, the rumor mill in terms of understanding what happened here. But the main thing is, is that one of the main strengths of Terra was the Anchor Protocol which was a place where people were able to get 20% uh, annual returns just by you know, buying and then holding their, um, uh, their, their Terra, or their, whichever coin it was, forgive me, um, their Luna on their network, right? And that was what sort of helped make sure that UST, their stable coin, was pegged to a dollar. Uh, over the weekend, a bunch of people started taking Anchor out, you know, just on the general crypto sell-off, and that just has snowballed completely. People just removing their liquidity from Anchor, which has caused which caused UST to lose its peg to the dollar. Uh, it went below one dollar. It, it stabilized at around twenty cents now, but by the time it hit about sixty, fifty cents, like it just caused a complete collapse. Uh, Justin, did you see anything else in terms of this sell-off, or is this just kind of what happens in the market sometimes? Sentiment turns bad, and then for crypto, things just happen way faster than the regular market. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot more inherent risk baked into crypto, so it definitely is going to be like significantly more risky. More risky means more volatility. More volatility means these large sell-offs pretty quickly. In the case of Terra specifically, to your point, like these stable coins are proven to be not so stable. So there's two different like kind of variations. The first variation are stable coins that are, uh, it's called collateralized. Basically, for every single stable coin, there should be some sort of actual uh, fiat backing it up. So in the case of Tether, for example, or every one Tether, there's, every, there's a US dollar backing it up. With algorithmic stable coins, they actually don't, they're under collateralized. So they don't have assets like the US dollar to back it up. Um, and in fact, like that is ultimately what was the downfall of this. So with Terra specifically, they had uh, a stable coin that was uh based on based on their internal algorithm uh and effectively uh it was paired with luna which is the coin that lost a ton of value so what happened effectively is if the native stable coin dips below a dollar um people sell luna buy up terra and then terra goes back up in price uh and then subsequently the the same thing on the other side so the risk and what ultimately happened was the stablecoin for uh, for the Terra project went below a dollar, started dipping further, and as it started dipping further and further, it put more selling pressure on Luna, um, and then it got to the point where there was such a run on the coin and the algorithm couldn't catch up fast enough that it actually dipped from one dollar or the equivalent of one dollar down into like the 0.2.3 level. And then that just caused a massive run on Luna, a ton of people liquidating, and it just kind of snowballed uh, and ultimately led it to lose almost like 99% of its value seemingly overnight. Um, it's, it's pretty crazy because this was one of the larger projects out there. And while in isolation, I mean, it did lose billions of dollars, it also has some like reverberations downstream because ultimately, this was one of the largest DeFi projects. So if you're involved in DeFi, 
Like this was kind of the gold standard to a certain effect. So if this one can go out of business or whatever the term is <laughs> technically for, uh, for losing its value, then that means all the others are at significant risk as well. Um, so I think from a DeFi perspective, this puts a lot of the entire industry kind of in question now going forward. Um, it's still really early on. I mean, we're only like a day, two, three days max into this. So we'll have to see the implications, but I can't understate enough for crypto and DeFi at large, like how impactful what happened was like, this should not be understated. It's not just a coin going down in value. Like this rips to the core of DeFi and the entire kind of crypto ecosystem. And you're seeing the fallout from that kind of reverberate across all of the crypto ecosystem. I mean, uh, Terra going down, knocked Bitcoin all the way down to 26K. Very briefly, Bitcoin's now stabilized just under 30K um, after, of course, in November being as high as 69,000, I believe. Um, nice. Uh, and just getting to questions real fast, if you're kind of new to the flagship pod, as a lot of our listeners are, like a lot of our listeners have come since uh, November, which means that you have been with us well after we haven't been talking about crypto as much as we've been focused on sort of like the sell-off in the larger NASDAQ, right? You might be wondering, well, okay, why didn't they just collateralize Luna? Like that's one of the major questions we see. Like you hear, um, oh, uh, UST wasn't backed up by anything. If you had a collateralized asset like this, it would no longer be decentralized. And this is the central problem that crypto, DeFi, this whole works is trying to solve, trying to make sure that uh, an algorithm or an actual process or an organization of many, many people is in charge of what happens to a protocol, not the person who has the giant wad of money at the center of it. So that was the central issue Terra was trying to solve, and it was doing a lot of really amazing things with its network on top of that, being a payments platform, being liquidity for very transactions and so keep that in mind like the whole reason we have an algorithmic stablecoin is to try to make a decentralized finance system and it's just one of those things where it's such a seismic shift in how we think about money and how money actually happens that you know these kind of errors can happen what we have in crypto is an ex is an ex is essentially a massive biological system whereas um, central control is extremely stable it also can be extremely unfair I mean just look at income distribution worldwide look at um, um, uh, you know, various inefficiencies of opportunity across the world as well. And you can see why people are so desperate to figure out a more decentralized solution here. Uh, turns out decentralized means there's going to be vulnerabilities like this. And the, while um, this is not saying that all algorithmic stable coins are going to be out forever, it does mean that, you know, uh, we have a lot of rethinking to do in terms of how to avoid attacks in in DeFi. So really excited to see where things go through here. But it is, you know, after what I was really loving seeing, which was a boon in investment in various DeFi projects, I am now concerned for more of like a DeFi winter as folks who have developed projects so far are now going to have to deal with, you know, sentiment in the space. Uh, the, the auction's going to go out of the room for a hot second. But this is very, very similar to the dot-com bubble in 2000. Like we had a bunch of people uh, basically flip out and bail on websites like pets.com and all that. And then, um, you know, five, six, seven years later, Amazon becomes very quickly one of the most valuable companies in the world. So crypto will bounce back from this, like crypto and DeFi as a concept. But it's one of those things where you're going to be initiating long-term positions now and what in various um, speculative uh, investments you make just to see who's going to win. Like, that's going to be pretty wild to watch, honestly, and just seeing how DeFi rebuilds from this. But, you know, it's going to be a pretty 
interesting way forward. Not to, you know, be a bummer the whole time, but I wanted to make sure everyone had sort of like the full understanding here. At the same time, you know, crypto is selling off. So is the stock market. Um, I don't want to get into, you know, we've said it for like, like three weeks now. Ah, it just keeps selling off. So instead, you know, let's get into what we can think about moving forward as people say, is it time to buy the dip? Like how much should I be watching this? I guess Justin, the main thing we should be doing is looking at inflation, right? So CPI print came out this week, a little bit hotter than the, what the street anticipated. CPI came out at 8.3% when the street anticipated 8.1%. That just means that things are more expensive by 8.3% on average compared now to last year. Um, April's number was 8.5, so we finally saw inflation go down a little bit. Um, is that it, Justin? Is that peak inflation? Or how should we keep looking at this moving forward as the market still continues to react to inflationary pressure? So it's tough to say whether it's peak or not. Um, having said that, the reaction from the market wasn't good. Granted, it was down, but like down marginally. Not like, oh, went from like eight and a half down to three. Uh, not that anyone was anticipating it to go down that much, but with the Fed raising rates now two times and several more to come, the thought would be that things would slow down even further. They didn't. I mean, there's a silver lining that they did slow down, just not to the extent everyone did. And now there's rumors going around that the Fed may start having to hike rates even more aggressively, even faster. So at the end of the day, we may be now on the other side of this thing. So we have to take it with a grain of salt. However, we might have to start getting more aggressive to start getting down that hill faster rather than just staying kind of at the apex of it. So I think the the long story short of it is it's a good sign, just not as quickly as we all were anticipating and what the markets were anticipating. Um, with things so ridiculously expensive, with supply chains still stunted, with rates increasing the way they are, the 30-year mortgage going up, things should be moving faster, but they're they're just not right now. Um, so I think in the short term, not good in the long run steps in the right direction. Um, and so we're going to have more of this valuation gap still. Um, I see people like on social channels and other, like even like prominent websites talking about, oh, well, you buy the dip, you buy the dip now. And while like you very well can, it's really important to note that this time is very different than the last 10 years when things went down seemingly for no reason. With rates going up, the value of stocks that they get for every single dollar of profit or revenue or whatever the metric is, goes down substantially. So it's not, hey, this company's making $100 million, they're trading at 10 times revenue. And when it goes down to five times revenue, now there's like you know a 2x return on the way back up. Companies for the foreseeable future are just not going to be valued at that 10 times revenue mark anymore. They'll be valued at lower multiples. And so this like return to normal or what we've seen over the last several years in terms of valuations and multiples on whatever conceivable metric that's just not going to happen anymore so yes you can buy the dip you know in the long run like there are certain stocks that like ultimately will go up in price but this short-term nature volatility stocks being valued the way they are like is not changing i, I mean we've been saying it since october um We've been talking about this valuation, kind of revaluation across the stock market having ever since. It's just, it's gonna continue to happen until economic conditions change. We are definitely in the later stage of this economic expansion. Things are starting to compress. So it's normal, it's healthy, but everyone needs to have a lot of patience if you're gonna invest now. Day trading, 
you see it is going out the window. It's like, I hate to say we told you so, but at the same time, like this is ultimately going to teach people better habits. So just stay educated, you know, weather the storm um, and look for opportunities when you can, but know that this volatility, like we've been talking about for literally months now, is here to stay for a bit. Exactly. And I think it's really important to keep in mind that one of the number one skills you have as an investor who is building out their own portfolio and understanding how to, you know, d establish the financial future that you're looking for is you're not doing portfolio management so much as you are doing emotional management. So it's one of those things where you have to understand that you keep your investments small and consistent, like you find that consistent slice of your budget, whatever's comfortable for you. I imagine people, you know, making it a little bit smaller to make sure they have room sort of for inflationary pressures in their own budget, but you keep it consistent, you keep it monthly. I mean, that's what I do. Some people do it every two weeks or so. Some folks are just like every time a downturn happens, buying more and more and more. Keep your investments monthly, watch these prices, and make sure you're watching for companies specifically that have, you know, solid cash flows and solid fundamentals. Ultimately, the biggest effect of this downturn um, is that my job has become roughly eight times more boring because I can no longer do cool research into penny stocks and like uh, very, very speculative tech companies because that run-up is not happening anymore. Now we are very, very focused on value plays, which means I have to go through a lot of um, extraordinarily boring um, financial statements, even more so, to make sure numbers match up and we have solid growth because that's what's going to, that is what the market is going to value moving forward. So it shouldn't even be seen as a net negative for you, audience. Just know that uh, here at Moby.co, we have to work roughly twice as hard to make um, uh, current financial news even more inter interesting, right? We want to still make it engaging for you. We still want to make it interesting, but we are going to be, you know, hunting through the boring stuff since boring is really beautiful right now in terms of what's going to have long-term value. So individual picks are going to be extraordinarily important. It's going to be really interesting watching managers rebuild their ETFs moving forward. Um, uh, RIP, ARK Invest, obviously. Um, I'm sure, you know, a lot of that's coming back <laughs> in the next five years or so, but it's one of those things where we're going to see that kind of sentiment sort of be calcified for a while. Like there's not going to be, it's not going to be like the, the COVID um, compression because the COVID recession, we were anticipating that for a while and it just so happened that COVID catalyzed the market, but then the unprecedented amount of uh, liquidity that was injected into the economy immediately after via the American Rescue Plan uh, shot the market right back up. So we didn't actually get the recession we had been careening towards for the past decade or so. We just got this little blip and we finally have, we're finally sowing, we're getting this we are reaping what we sowed basically in 2010, 2011 um, from, from those periods. So that's, that's the main thing we have to keep in mind as you sort of roll through here, thinking about the market going down. It's uh, finding companies you genuinely believe in, sort of contracting your horizons right now. And if you want to get speculative, make sure it's the kind of budget you have that you can literally light on fire. That cannot be stressed enough. Do not put yourself in an uncomfortable position. A lot of folks here did not do that, but obviously a lot of folks in the day trading space really over leveraged themselves. Um, so, you know, that's tough. We're sorry to see that sort of thing happen, but that's, you know, not good investment advice or somebody's telling you to leverage their ETFs, right? So as we roll through there, it's important to just keep in mind that we're that's what we're watching now. And so you're watching us sort of reevaluate a lot of our picks. Last week, reevaluated Plug Power because they're the one kind of growth stock that has a lot of really solid um, revenue movement moving forward. Obviously, we made that adjustment before more downturns happened, but we're, we're pretty confident about Plug Power, you know, popping back up as the market stabilizes as selling pressure goes down. 
down. Same thing for PayPal today. We're really excited to see PayPal continue adding customers even as they sever their relationship with eBay, right? And so that's what you have to look for. You have to look for these financial moments. You have to look for all the signs that point to good business and good revenue growth. And that's how you're going to win your way through this. So Justin, you know, as you know, the chief analyst here, like obviously I come at you from more of like the journalistic perspective. I find those revenue moments. But as you look for these air quotes by the dip moments, what are signs you look for that like make a stock pick a, a better one? Like how do I like how do I have a little bit more confidence in saying, okay, I should not hold off on making this particular buy the dip scenario. Now's the time. Should I just wait until the market pops back up 5% and just kind of ride the wave then? Or how do you think about that as you add positions to your portfolio moving forward? So I think there's different levels that we need to look at and understanding your tolerance of risk um, to like understand what level you should be trading at. But I think that the best way is probably to break it down into three different levels. The first level is just participating in broad market exposure. So you look at certain indices, uh, like for example, the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ is down 25% this year so far. Um, you look at the S&P 500, I think it's around 15%. Um, so you look at like those and you can see, okay, when was the last time it was trading this low? What were historical valuations for the last 10, 15 years? Is it in line? Is it trading range bound? The short answer of it is at an index level, a lot of the names are starting to, like the bigger ETFs and bigger indices are starting to trade back in range for 10, 15 year historical averages. And so that's a good way to understand like what valuation should be. So right now with the nasdaq down so much it can present a good buying opportunity to start getting in more um the last time we saw it this low i mean it wasn't that long ago but it's still a few years at this point and with the market grinding higher since it's really inception i think there's a good chance obviously <laughs> that it keeps going back up so long story short um it's back trading in historical norms can it continue falling 100 um but it's not so ridiculously outpriced like it's been uh, in recent history. So that's at the index level. Getting more granular, if you want to look at certain stocks, that's when we start like understanding how those are also trading relative to historical norms. For the last, let's call it three, four years, valuations just to a certain extent didn't matter. There are companies who are like literally just burning money, but we're trading at a hundred times revenue. Um, we all knew that was never going to last, but that was what the norm was at the time. So we just had to take it for kind of granted. Today, things are now trading back towards what their historical norms have been and valuations matter. So we start having to look at stocks on a on a base, like on a stock by stock basis, understanding what were they valued at back when like valuations would mattered more. Are they trading in that range? And so when we start thinking about stocks that are over or undervalued, a lot of what we're doing is looking at that range. And so, for example, we actually released a report today on PayPal. And PayPal is one of those stocks that's growing really nicely, has gotten absolutely massacred, um, but you look at their valuation relative to historical norms and it's actually below it. So when that turns the ship and turns the corner and ultimately goes back up, I mean, it's really dictated on market forces. It's, uh, it's hard to say, but we're not here trying to time the market. We're trying to just find good investment opportunities. And if it takes three months to play out, six months, a year, two years, that's that's irrelevant to us. We're long-term investors. We're just looking for the right opportunities. Even if PayPal is stuck there for another year, we're fundamental believers that it'll go up just based on its business model, historical averages, and a handful of other factors. So 
that's kind of the second level. And then the third level is finding other strategies that do well in market conditions like this. Um, you can look into shorting strategies. You can look into trading volatility. You can do a handful of things. One thing that we released the other day and we talked about a lot for our premium members is manage future strategies. You can go to the site or the app now that we've launched it, read a lot more about it than I can get into right now. But effectively in these slow grinding downwards markets, manage future strategy allows us to capture some upside. So we look at like one of the ETFs that tracks the strategy because it's pretty difficult to recreate at the, at the investor level. Um, and it's up 25% this year. So there's obviously a lot of risk, but it's a great hedge for downside times. So if you want to put five, 10% of your portfolio on it, if the market all of a sudden reverses tomorrow and goes back up, yeah, that's obviously not going to do well, but on the downside, it'll capture upside. And then when the rest of the market rebounds, hopefully the other stocks in your portfolio rebound. So it's a really great way to hedge downside exposure um, and understand what the market looks like. So I think at a high level, that probably answers most of it. There's different levels based on risk tolerance, um, but a lot of it is based on valuation and, and historical norms. And that's a really great way of looking at it, too. And another thing, audience, as well, is remembering that we invest on multi-year timescales, whereas the media that you consume to learn about how to invest, you know, goes on day-by-day, hour-by-hour cycles. And so you're seeing just the loudest noise at any particular minute as opposed to what the actual news is. And one thing that absolutely blew my mind when I actually looked at the numbers were um, if you trust the process, if you're in investing for the long term, then you kind of know the base case, the base case for just blanket investing, getting that broad market exposure is trying to get compounding interest over the course of like five, 10 years and trying to make sure that you sort of hit somewhere around 8%, like eight to 10% is the historical average for the S&P 500. And if you, you know, take away, if you look at the current gains right now and compare them to 2019, uh, the S&P still went up 8% year over year over year over year from 2019 to 2022. It's just, we had this absolutely wild period where there was so much money in the market that valuations skyrocketed. So you're thinking the market is crashing. No, the market is exactly kind of where it's supposed to be. Now, whether or not it stays there is the huge thing. But um, what we what we saw from 2020 20, into 2021 was the greatest experience in um, maximum Keynesianism possible. And as a John Maynard Keynes stan, um, I'm a little bit bummed that it led to a hangover like this. But at the same time, it's really encouraging to see that when valuations come back to earth, they come back just to earth and do not go underground, so to speak. So um, basically, if you started investing, you know, in the 2010s, you're still going right according to plan. It's just that you had this brief period to compare against where the market achieved absolutely astonishing highs on the back of a lot of liquidity in the market. So keep that in mind. Trust the process. Keep your expectations where they're supposed to be. Uh, you can do quite a bit if you get you know pretty solid 8% returns year over year over year on a long enough time scale as long as you consistently invest. And that's why we say never time the market. It's, a, it's about time in the market, never timing the market. Um, that does get us pretty close to the half hour there, Justin. Is there any? Are there any final thoughts for you? Is there anything else you want the our audience to sort of think about as they examine their portfolio? You know, feel bad for potentially not getting out like you know in October of 2021 at the absolute max of the market and just going full liquid and then watching the world burn around them. Is there anything we can be thinking about as we begin to sort of think more long term as all of the oxygen exits the day trading space and we get more into the mature long term investing you know zone of uh, financial media, so to speak. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's pretty comprehensive. Like there's obviously a lot more I'd love to discuss. We could go on for hours, but 
I think for a sense of calm for all of our listeners right now, whether it's live or in the recorded version later on, where I know most of you are listening, um, timing the market, I'm going to say it every week, and I know there's a lot of repeat listeners and there's also a lot of new listeners, but timing the market is impossible. It, it, it literally, like statistically, cannot be done. You can't buy stocks at the bottom and sell them at the top consistently time and time again. You either capture some sort of upside, you're a long-term investor, and you will sell it on the upswing, but like buying a stock at one at the absolute minimum and then selling it at 100 before it goes back down to one, it, it, like you just can't do it. it. It's really impossible. So a lot of the picks that we recommend, stocks we recommend, if they're not super, super short-term in nature, we don't fully expect, and no one should fully expect, for you guys to be able to buy them at the bottom and sell them at the top. What we're trying to do is build long-term wealth appreciation and wealth creation. So we're buying the right stocks, picking the right investments. So when they go up, they appreciate, you capture on the upside. And then when it goes down, you wait for it to go back up. The companies we're picking, we fundamentally all believe in over a multi-year period. And so when you look at stocks like Tesla, you look at stocks like Twilio, you look at stocks even like Amazon that are, Amazon's down 35% this year. The business is still doing amazing, but we're not trying to invest in the short term, be quick sellers. We're investing in companies who are fundamentally changing the way humans and like everyone interacts with the world. Those are the companies we want to invest in. And so these short-term dips on a six, one, even two, three-year basis are irrelevant. Um, we just want to be capturing long-term value. Um, if things change, we will sell our positions. We will take losses when we need to. But that is fundamentally how everyone should think about investing, especially at the retail level. Exactly. And that's one thing, too. And as we've been a very sort of small organization, we've only really uh, talked about initiating positions, right? Like we as an organization have not been open long enough to talk about positions that we are going to close because a lot of the positions we have taken, you know, we don't think they've hit the maturity that we want yet. So keep that in mind too, audience, that while we only really talk about the positive here because that's the main thing we are focused on in terms of a future-focused organization, we will tell you when we are, you know, thinking about closing positions and closing down price targets. That is very much in the pipeline moving forward as we roll through this. It's one of those things where you have to understand that since we're so future-focused, like closing a position after two years is basically um, you, you shouldn't have, you should not have opened the position in the first place. And so every pick we make is based on a multi-year time scale, five to 10. We do have, you know, our price targets and our target dates, but that's just to indicate the overall health of the pick to let you know how well or how poorly it did. If you sort of catch a pick, you know, a couple of months after we make it. So keep that in mind as well. Uh, it's one of those things that's really exciting as we, you know, begin to expand our offerings moving forward. Again, if you haven't downloaded our, our app, please do so. We have a lot of, we keep adding more and more information to it. And it's just an awesome way to sort of engage with the product overall. We are gearing up to fin close out the round of fin financing we've been doing to massively expand our analysis and product team to make sure that we are getting more dynamic views of the market for you as well. Uh, we are showing no signs of slowing down here at Moby.co. This is the best time to start a business and to you know get that kind of VC funding when there's blood in the water and all of the 
sort of like grifters have to like scurry away. So when you're building a real, real business, this rocks. This is a healthy period for the economy in terms of making sure that there's room for other better products to grow. Like that's kind of why inflation's a good thing overall because it sort of forces prices to shift over time and forces companies to constantly improve the economy. Obviously, this much inflation is not the best thing. We're hoping for more 2%, not 8 But hey, what are you going to do? Other than that, though, audience, I'm really excited to see um, what new things come out of this crypto collapse. Obviously, this is going to be a great moment for building better new projects. I really hope that Terra can find a way to reestablish its protocol, retweak the algorithm, make sure something that this doesn't happen again, and you know, rebuild to their previous highs. We're very excited to see if that team can pull it off moving forward because there's so much good stuff happening there before sort of the core algorithm had this catastrophic hiccup. Either way, Justin, I've kind of carried us way over time. Any final thoughts from you before I go ahead and read the credits here, man? No, I think that's uh, good. It's a comprehensive episode. I mean, this is just like, <laughs> this week really like tops it off. So um, I think if there if there's more people want to talk about, they have questions. Um, I think for the next 30 minutes, it will be in Discord. Let's just ra- let's just like rapid fire go back and forth on questions. Um, this is uh, this is more so than most weeks. It's pretty crazy. So let's let's make sure we're paying attention and making the right moves here. Exactly. This is the tough week amongst tough weeks, especially if you are more on the crypto side of things. So you know, if you have a crypto bro in your friend group, you know, send love and hugs. Uh, they're gonna need it as uh, everything kind of you know, gets deflated a little bit. Crypto is just like the stock market, just way faster, way bigger, right? Either way, audience, really appreciate your time. Trust the process over the course of several years and you're going to do well. Regardless, though, I really thank you for listening to this. Just so you know, this podcast was produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All of the intellectual stuff you heard here came from our analytics team and therefore our chief analyst, Justin Kramer, CEO and co-founder of Bobby.co as well. If you have any questions for us, you can hit us up here over at our Discord or you can also just email us. You can email me. I'm Peter at Moby.co. Anything specific specific you want us to look into i'm always game to make sure that i'm getting the right research for y'all um again we are nothing without you our brilliant and probably beautiful audience so please feel free to ask us anything any picks you want us to look into any particular stocks you think might have some merit that you want a little bit more research behind as an early investor in your time in moby.co we want to make sure we're honoring that since it's you guys that are making the core of this awesome thing we're building here regardless audience i really appreciate you being here with us for this past half hour and as always i like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.